In previous seasons, we opened each show reviewing cases of girls who are currently missing that we call the Aisha Alert. In our third season, we've decided to switch some things around. We will no longer be adding the Aisha Alerts into the shows, but will continue to post new cases of missing black girls on our social media each week. We encourage you to pay close attention to our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram so that you can help us help the families who are still seeking answers and long for their loved ones' safe return. You are listening to Season 3 of Black Girl Missing, a podcast that covers stories of black girls reported missing when they were under the age of 18. When black girls go missing, their cases are severely underreported in mainstream media. We want to shift the narrative. We invite you to listen, learn, and do whatever you can to help us bring as many girls home as possible. Due to the sensitive and sometimes graphic nature of these cases, we advise you to use caution when listening. Welcome back to Black Girl Missing. I'm Nikki. I'm Asa. And I'm Feminista Jones. How are we doing today? Gucci. Girl, we feeling free. We feeling black. We are just feeling everything wonderful that is just here. Yeah. I, I love it. People, right? Whatever that means. We're we going to lose a lot of us. <laughs> we are. God damn it. <laughs> Listen, if you vibrate and hire, we love you, girl. Welcome to Black Girl Missing. We're happy to have you here. Thanks Welcome. for joining us. Indeed. Welcome to Black Girl Missing. Wow. This is a true crime podcast about missing black girls ages zero to 17. We are in season three. Wow. We're like halfway through season three. Love it. What is happening? Look at us. Wow. Flourishing. Who would have thought? Love black it. Black Girl Magic. Absolutely. Hashtag Black Excellence. <laughs> I don't know why we got the giggles. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> All right, and we're back. Today, we are going to talk about Lashea Stein. July 15th, 2016 was the last time that Lashea Stein's family saw her. In the early morning hours, 16-year-old Lashea Stein opened her bedroom window and climbed out. She was going to meet an unspecified individual and never came back. Let me just stop right here and remind everyone, teenagers do stupid shit. They just do. Uh, so she, they saw her before she snuck out? So this is, well, her family didn't see her sneak out. I'm going to tell you exactly how they knew she climbed out of her window. She had a job interview the next morning and her family went to go wake her up to say, you know, Hey, get up. You got your job interview today. And her phone went straight to voicemail when they tried to call her and they tried to just look around the neighborhood, see if she was maybe at a friend's house or wandering around or, you know, whatever. And they couldn't find her. They lived in a very residential area of Aurora, Cal uh, California. No, Aurora, Colorado. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. And um, it's a very um, 
a very residential area, not many buildings, mostly just homes. So when you live in a neighborhood like that, you know, you do a lot of just wandering, walking, whatever, you know, go to your home, your homie's house or whatever. So they weren't really alarmed at this point. They're just thinking she'll be back. But then they see that she had been out of her window Mm, because the screen was up. Had the screen been down and the window was down, it wouldn't look so suspicious. Mm -hmm. So, Local police tagged Lachea a runaway and they weren't going to investigate as they never do. Now, Sabrina, Lachea's mother, decided that that was insufficient. I know that's right. And she continued to search for her daughter on her own. Some families are not able for for a lot of reasons. But Miss Sabrina said, I'm going to try to find my baby. With the help of the Polly Class Foundation, if we all remember, Polly Class was a young white girl who went missing around the same time as uh, Georgia Lee Moses in California, mm-hmm. and her family had money, and they founded the Polly Class Foundation to help find missing children. So Sabrina's uh, case with Polly Class Foundation really consisted of them helping her with resources, um, paying for flyers and posters. Uh, giving her resources, making sure she knew some of the tips of, you know, looking for a missing person. Lachey's family began posting uh, flyers of her around the neighborhood. The chief of police was actually on vacation when Lachey went missing. When he returned a week after Lachey had been missing, he decided to take a closer look at this very specific case I don't know if it was intuition or uh, just his gut or what, but he said, you know, something's not right here. Let me take a look. The last sighting of Lachey was on a surveillance camera walking near a bus stop in the 1600 block of North Peoria Street at 2.23 a.m. That's how they knew she absolutely walked away from her house on, you know, by her own volition. Yeah. And that she was going to meet somebody because she she had she was clearly going in a specific mm-hmm. uh, direction for a reason. Mm-hmm. Now, Lachea left behind her clothes, her wallet, her money, phone charger, um, just you know random things that you know she would carry with her. And she has no history of running away. Um, she doesn't get into any trouble, and she disappeared the day before a job interview that she was really excited about. So none of this sounds like Lachea didn't want to come back home. Lachea's family believes that she was abducted by sex traffickers. The reason why is because Miss Sabrina tried to do a little bit of sleuthing on her own with the help of her family. And it was suggested that she had been abducted by a man who is always with her, is probably controlling her, and seems to have no name. Like he's just this mystery man. Witnesses said that he claims to be a family member who is protecting Lachea from her mother's boyfriend who was sexually assaulting her, which that would make sense. If I see you out and about with this man and a man tells me, nah, fam, she's good. I'm protecting her from so-and-so. Who am I to think that that's a lie? Like, why would I say that she's not being victimized by her mother's boyfriend? But here's the crazy thing about that. Mm. Sabrina said that couldn't be possible because she hadn't dated since her divorce in 2013. Mm. So this was, there was no boyfriend. It's just like virtually impossible. So in one investigative leap, 
Lachea's family struck a deal with the pimp on the street who said he had information about Lachea, but gave them this same story about this supposed family friend and this made up boyfriend. So apparently this is the story that's being used by whoever may have Lachea. Wow. Yeah, okay. there had been sightings of her reported in the Colfax Avenue area of Aurora, which um, is a, a seedy area where there's mm-hmm. lots of um, lots of drugs, lots of sex workers, lots of um, lots of criminal activity mm-hmm. is what they would normally call it. Witnesses state that a girl res- resembling Lachea was being kept drugged and was forced into prostitution in that area. Now, the thing about sex work is uh, there's there's a, a very thin line between sex work and sex trafficking because yeah. at any moment, a sex worker can decide, I don't want to do this. Right. And if somebody says, actually, you don't have a choice, well, now they just became a trafficking victim. Right. And law enforcement doesn't see it that way. Right. Yeah. You know, there's lots of uh, sex workers who are actually being trafficked. And if they get picked up by police, police don't treat them as trafficking victims. Right. They treat them like mm-hmm. they are sex workers who are, you know, breaking the law and they charge them with solicitation and all this other stuff. And then they put them back on the street. They're never safe. They're not safe in custody. They're not safe out of custody. Right. Which is why so many people have pushed, you know, pushed for decriminalization because that's right. better to help people that are being trafficked or abused or tr- things like that, that they're not being penalized for the work that they're doing, but mm-hmm. that they can be, you know, treated as victims of a crime uh, rather than the criminals themselves. Exactly. Um, she, there have been sightings of Lachea in the Kansas City, Missouri area, which Kansas City, Missouri has a lot of um, trafficking uh, activity. They've got lots of strip clubs. They've got lots of, it's easy to get into a strip club if you're underage in that area. Um, they just, it's it's a, a, a an easy place to traffic if that was going to be something you were trying to do. Um, there have been sightings of her in Kansas, New Mexico, and Arizona. Uh, Lachea was an honor student at George Washington High School at the time of her disappearance. She had really, you know, bright future ahead of her. She dreamed of becoming a nurse. She got an internship at the University of Colorado Hospital. And she is considered to be in danger and her case remains unsolved. In November of 2020, Aurora police and local FBI followed a lead into the basement of a home not far from where Lachea was last seen walking. This house is not far from where Lachea was living at the time. For three days, law enforcement was seen entering and exiting the home with equipment that's used to break up concrete. There has been no follow-up information shared about that investigation or the family that lived there when Lachea went missing, which tells me that they may have found something and they just haven't said anything publicly yet. I have There's a strong really possibility. Yeah. It's definitely connected to Lachea's um, going missing or might be. Might. Okay. But I've learned since we started doing this show that police being quiet doesn't mean that they haven't found anything. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when they don't say anything, it's because it's something that's so specific that if they mention it, it could, you know, compromise their case. Mm-hmm. Tip somebody off. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand. And I police rarely do anything that they're supposed to be doing. So when they are doing something about a missing person, I'm more inclined to just let it play out. I really hope that there is an update soon about this case. And then we find out what was going on in that basement. Um, The house has been owned by the same owner for many, many years. So it's a rental property, essentially, because the family that lived there when Lachey went missing is not the family that lives there now. But the family who lives there now is not being investigated in Lachey's disappearance. So it's just, it's the same house. It's just a different family. Um, Mm -hmm. The people who own the house have been very cooperative about letting the police kind of come in and do their thing. Um, Agencies involved with Lachey's case are offering a $15,000 reward. Um, Anyone with information can contact the Aurora Police Department Crimes Against Children tip line at 303-739-6164. Or you can remain anonymous by contacting Metro Denver Crime Stoppers at 720-913-7867. Wow. Damn. So did they, when they said that that Lachey had been seen with this man, did they mean after she went missing or before and after she went missing? After she went missing. So essentially, this is what, what the streets were kind of saying. Is that so as her mom is kind of going around in these seedy areas and asking questions and showing people pictures and I mean, like down to offering people money for information, like I'll give Mm -hmm. you, you know, $200 if you tell me anything. What do you know? Okay. Essentially, there are uh, like a like a small strip of, you know, small motels, you Mm -hmm. know, things like that. And what's happening is people who say that this is Lachea, they're like, you know, she's she's drugged out, but she still looks the the way she looks in these photos mm-hmm. that the that Sabrina's showing. And they said she's with the same guy all the time. Guy never leaves her side. Okay. Yeah. And you know, the other mm-hmm. thing, um, you know, with people with with them being drugged out, that's exactly what they do, right? To these mm-hmm. young when they get them, they they forcibly inject them with drugs and um and force them to you know become addicted in a way and they use it to sedate them they use it whatever and Mm -hmm. so many times these these girls be out of their mind they have no idea what's going on Mm -hmm. in the world around them um and so lachea could be you know if that's the case if she was you know kidnapped and is being drugged up she could be in this perpetual state of just lucid you know lucidity and just kind of like i don't you know Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like just kind of not knowing who she is and where she is. And and that's got to right. be frustrating, you know, if you're looking for her and, and she could be right under their noses, yep. but not have the wherewithal to be like, it's me. I need to get out of here, you know. And go home. Yeah. Right? And go home. And one thing that I think about um, when it comes to uh, the prevalence of like fentanyl, mm-hmm. um, opiates just making such a huge impact on young people once you're hooked on that well now i want to stay wherever the opiates are at Mm -hmm. right so even if she were to come to and say i need to go home or i need to find my mom or whatever she would know if i leave this situation 
I can't get any more drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and or even I got to figure out how to get the drugs. Even mm-hmm. if she was able to like fight off that addiction, her credibility is shot with, you know, strangers because, oh, this is quote unquote crackhead mm-hmm. is just running up and telling me stories. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I just the want to correct myself. I said lucidity and I meant the opposite of lucidity. I just don't <laughs> want people to think that I'm not smart. <laughs> Perhaps that I, I am not under the influence of anything right now, um, but I just wanted to correct that. But you all know what I mean that, you know, she can yeah. have some times where there's clarity, but most of the time she may not have that clarity and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of waffling in and out of lucidity is what I really meant to say. Um, but yeah, no, this is, uh, I feel like her story is representative of so many that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, especially now that I think of like with the pandemic, right. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I was, we, we talked about this, I think briefly. And um, my fear during the pandemic is that as people become desperate for money, right. We see mm-hmm. crime mm-hmm. increasing everywhere. Right. Particularly yep. in some of the more distressed cities like Philadelphia, uh, where mm-hmm. the gun violence mm-hmm. has gone through the roof because the poverty is so bad and it was already bad. And even mm-hmm. more people have been forced into poverty just kind of like what are people willing to do to make money mm-hmm. and the desperation uh, that can come into play and people, you know, willing to to kidnap and sell and enslave people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when people get shocked and they get horrified when they hear about sex trafficking, but there are more people currently enslaved in sex trafficking now in the U.S. than there were ever in the number of enslaved Africans, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a problem. And the thing is, is that because it is mostly girls, mm-hmm. that it is not something that gets, you know, the attention and the forcefulness. But I mean, you can also think about then because people, they knew that people were being enslaved, you know, that African-Americans were being enslaved and descendants and they were just kind of like, Mm, sucks, yeah. but you know that kind of thing, and so there mm-hmm. is very much that same approach, mm-hmm. and and there's also a threat to kind of you know collective masculinity. Is like we're supposed to protect women, and we can't mm-hmm. uh, do anything about this, so it's better to ignore it. And then women who may have been victimized, sexually victimized in their own past, it's very difficult for them to get involved in that kind of activism. And then mm-hmm. unfortunately, we have the folks who. You know, they're so focused on promoting and supporting um, sex workers' rights, which is what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can be dismissive of the very real issues that especially Black girls and Black children are facing when it's coming to sex trafficking. And I've gotten mm-hmm. into a number of dis- arguments with, like, say, white uh, sex workers who I'm just like, you're ignoring something here that mm-hmm. we actually do have a problem. You know, when 40% of trafficked children, whether it's for sex or domestic work, are black in a nation where they're not even like 5% of the population. Uh, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, right. that's a huge problem. And I understand your advocacy as a sex worker. We are team sex work over here. But mm-hmm. we also have to acknowledge that trafficking does happen and is happening. Um, right. and, and it is effect- disproportionately affecting are black minors. So, you know, that's Milo's so box. And then, you know, when we are talking about young black children being victims of pretty much anything, there is this overwhelming need to rationalize it as they brought it upon themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Where's the empathy for, for black children? There's Mm. none. Nope. Right. There is none. And I want I want us to not us, but as a society, 
to pay more attention to it's like, oh, well, they were a runaway. And if they didn't run away, then they wouldn't be going through this. Okay, but what were they running from? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I need people to start asking, what were they running from? Because in, in, it may not be that their home was unsafe. Something else could have been unsafe. There are so many things that kids can experience from the moment they leave the house to go to school till they come back. It could be bullies. There could be, you know, predators, you know, on the bus or on the bus stop or on the way to school. There could be teachers. We find out about teachers being weird all the time. There, and, and it may be at home. We have no idea. There's also, and I, this is, you know, going to be more on the outskirts of what people experience, but there's also just myriad of mental health issues. Mm-hmm. That these kids could be experiencing and don't know that they're experiencing because we don't talk about that kind of stuff. Um, you know, how many of these young people are developing um, delusions or are experiencing, you know, active psychosis and don't know it? Right. They can't explain why they feel the way that they do. And if they're not acting the way their parents want them to now, well, now their parents are just screaming at them. Yeah. Well, you're screaming at me. Let me just go somewhere, anywhere to get away from whatever the hell is happening right here. Mm-hmm. It may be a sensory issue. They may be on the spectrum. Like there's just could so be a lot going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. we just don't consider. We don't let it be considered. We don't talk about it. None of that. And then when these kids go missing, it's like, oh, well, they were runaways and they thought they were grown and they fast and they this and they that. Instead of thinking that is a child, their brain is not fully developed and they need help. Mm-hmm. I really want us to to get to that part of when we think about missing children, no matter where that missing child came from, it's a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a child. Yeah. Shit. That's it. Bottom line. And, and I hate that. And we talk about this a lot that like children are just seen as almost hindrances and liabilities and, you know, condoms are right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just don't. You don't want them. There's ways to actively work to prevent that happening. Our foster care system is disproportionately oh. overloaded with mm-hmm. African-American children. Um, and it's something that I think about at least once or twice a week, just like, why, you know? And some of it is because of the racist system that we have. And there are a lot of children that are removed from our home as an act of psychological warfare. Um, Mm -hmm. It just, it just really destroys their psyche and their families. And it's so disruptive, but there are many that are removed because they, you know, it's saving, it's their saving grace. And we, we, you know, I just, Sometimes we just got to take a moment to just, you know, think about those children and and who they grow up to be and the kind of supports and things that they need and how we can all just be better as community for these young people. Like this is, we're all we got. I mean, if these these shows, if our shows tell you anything is we all we got and, um, and we, we all could do better. Absolutely. Well, if you, happen to see Lachea Stein or you think you see Lachea Stein, please call the authorities. Be good to each other. Be good to yourselves. And we will see you next time. Bye. Peace out.
Black Girl Missing Podcast is researched, written, and produced by three concerned black women who want justice for missing black girls. Today's episode was written and produced by Nikki Irene, and the Black Girl Missing theme was produced by Siraj Khalif. Be sure to follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at BLK Girl Missing. On Facebook, we're at Black Girl Missing Pod. On Instagram, we're at Black Girl Missing Podcast. Visit our website for more information about each case, blackgirlmissingpod.com. Contact us on social media or email us at blackgirlmissingpodcast at gmail.com with any tips, feedback, or names of girls you want us to look into. You can further support Black Girl Missing by subscribing to our Patreon, where you will receive exclusive behind-the-scenes content and bonus episodes. Go to patreon.com slash blackgirlmissingpodcast and subscribe today. We really appreciate your support.